0: All right, guys. Well, welcome back this evening. It's good to see you all here. All the all the important people are here, so I'm I'm thankful for that. So. <laughs> You're all important to me, as Mark likes to say. Um, he wasn't listening. He didn't catch that. It's okay. Um, well, uh, thanks again for being back here again another Sunday night uh, for the parenting class. Um, uh, it's a it's a true joy to be able to share these truths with you. Uh, but also ultimately to be able to go through this um, uh, with you as well. Uh, if you didn't get a handout, they're actually back there. I'm sure somebody be willing to hand uh, give you one if you don't have that. You can raise your hand. Or, um, but this is going to be lesson six. Uh, we're going to be introducing ourselves to the the parents' role as as teacher tonight. Um, for the past three weeks, it was um, really only supposed to be two weeks, but I was thankful that we could spend some extra time. Uh, to go through the parents' role as disciplinarian, and um, I hope that was helpful for you. Uh, feel free to contact me with any other questions that you might have maybe we didn't get to cover something that that you were thinking about or even something throughout the week that you didn't get to consider or you it came to mind maybe a a, a personal application of a, like hey uh, man I wish I wish I could have understood this better or you know what do I do in this situation uh, feel free to email me or text me. Um, uh, we did have a, a a phone number that was set up um, that I can add to the email going out to you to remind you where you can text that number and it will come directly to me um, without uh, any other uh, hassle or anything It comes directly to my email so um, you won 't have to worry about well maybe matt didn 't get my text message it will come to me i promise um, and i won 't send you all kind of spam or anything as a, res- a result of you doing that but Uh, We want to be able to help you, give you the tools and the information that that we know biblically that is helpful, and so we we can only do that, though, as you ask those good questions. And so uh, tonight, as I said, we're going to um, continue in our study of uh, the parent's role as as teacher. Um, We looked at the parent as disciplinarian, looking at the unbiblical, uh, um, looking at unbiblical discipline. Biblical discipline and, and how it follows God's example within uh, with his children, that it's loving, it's wise, and uh, that that wise way of discipline, it, it really follows uh, wise rules. And those rules are, it's, the discipline is reasonable, it's definable, it's useful, and uh, we looked at the utilization of rewards and consequences. And um, again, like I said, the second role... That we're going to examine together is the parent as teacher. Um, since uh, Pastor already prayed for us, uh, we're going to dive right in tonight. So let's go ahead and, and, and get going. Uh, Ephesians 6 4, a passage that we have um, gone over many times with one another. Uh, would anybody be willing to read that for me tonight? Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Carolina. Okay, training and admonition. Now, now this word admonition in Ephesians six four, it really means putting into the mind, putting into the mind. This is instruction to build inner convictions, to build inner convictions. And uh, we've talked about this before when it comes to uh, our role. Uh, as parents and how we are actually given the, the priority, the responsibility uh, to, to begin to instill these truths into the hearts of our children so that as they grow, they will build these convictions that once they leave the home or even when they are in the home and maybe apart from you, whenever they get into a situation where they are having to make a decision of this is wrong, this is right, or I'm going to respond this way instead of this way like others are doing, that is, that is going to be coming from their convictions. And so what is it that you do uh, to help build those convictions? And that's what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is leading us to as fathers, that we are to train up. We are to bring about admonition uh, to our children. What that means is putting into their minds those things. In other words, we refer to them as convictions. Proverbs 22, verse 6 uh, can anybody turn to that quickly? Proverbs twenty-two verse six in the Old Testament. Uh, probably you may be able to quote it. Very good. Train up a child in the way he should go. This again, looking at the putting into the mind of the child um, those truths. Well, teaching is one. It's it's one of the primary means of fulfilling God's directions to parents. In training their children in the way they should go, and uh, though the result of the teaching is up to God, there are a few important considerations and conditions, or pre, pre, pre uh, can't say it, prerequisites, uh, the things that that are required pre um, uh, to parents, and uh, we must understand to maximize the effects of our teaching. So the results, again, they're left up to God, but there are some important conditions or prerequisites that parents must understand to maximize the effects of our teaching. Uh, Prerequisites for the family classroom, uh, that would be first to recognize, recognize that the child lacks understanding and needs to be taught. Recognize that the child lacks understanding and needs to be taught. Solomon makes this clear as, as he states his, his purpose in, um, in writing Proverbs. In his purpose in writing Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. And so, since our children are often immature and foolish, they need to grow in knowledge and wisdom and This is really knowledge applied that 's what wisdom is and so uh, that, those are these are things that we must consider we must recognize our child 's lack of understanding and need to be taught and and friends it doesn't it doesn 't just stop even within uh, the realm of a child. Uh, Even as teachers and pastors within the church, we have to recognize that there is a need for growth and maturity within the body of Christ. And so we go to God's word to bring about that knowledge and that wisdom, that understanding, that discretion through the teaching of his word. But specifically, when we think of the family um, and parents as teachers, these are things that we need to consider here. Second, we realize that children learn incrementally. Children learn incrementally. Isaiah uh, 28, verse 10 says, For he says, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. Uh, This refers to Isaiah's method of teaching. Just as we are to learn the word little by little, line upon line, order upon order, so our children learn about life incrementally from us. Our teaching begins at their birth, and it ends at our death. Uh, this learning lasts a lifetime. Uh, the opportunities to teach are everywhere along the path of our lives. We um, we are given those instructions, even in the, the Hebrew system, um, all the way back in the Old Testament, of teaching your children as you walk daily with them, as you go about the way, teaching them and instructing them in these ways. In other words, do you want your children to enter marriage with um, with no understanding of how they ought to live in a married life, uh, when does that teaching begin? Does your, does your child understand what marriage is supposed to look like simply because of what they've seen on TV? Are they, are they simply supposed to understand that based upon uh, what they see in the, in the other homes of children around them? Or who does that, who is that, who, uh, who does that r- responsibility lie with? When does that teaching begin? Just because you don't give them uh, the facts of life to a to a two year old doesn't mean when you're uh, when you aren't teaching the concepts of of purity or the concepts of love and care and intimacy with your uh, with your spouse, um, it doesn't mean that you don't have the opportunity to teach them even from a young age. You know, your children watch your gestures of affection with your spouse in everyone's modesty or lack thereof in the home from the time that they are very young. You begin to teach them, even appropriately, into the ways that in which you, you dress them, in the ways in which you um, show affection to them, the ways in which you show affection toward your, your spouse. They listen to your comments about inappropriate affection by others in public setting. Uh, they listen to you as you watch TV, as you comment about the world's view of affection and romance. Uh, how do you do that in a daily basis? Um, you know, maybe even just stopping a film or something that you may be watching and asking your child, hey, uh, what, do you con- what do you think about this scenario, this scene right here? Do you think it's appropriate the way that they're, um, they're uh, introducing themselves to one another? Do you think it's appropriate the, the way that they are uh, loving one another in this, in this, uh, this scene? Uh, begin to ask them questions, real questions. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do that, as we said with our two-year-old. You know, Oliver has no concept of me saying, hey, what does this look like? But say my um, six-year-old or my uh, eight-year-old or ten-year-old, you're going to begin to even consider those things on a deeper level. But children must exercise self-control in regard to lots of things, and we begin to teach those principles throughout their lives. Now, before I go further, I want to point out, Um, a good resource that's not in our notes, but uh, when I talked about building godly convictions, um, this is a a really small book. You remember I talked about how I like really small books and pamphlets? Um, This is a small book, How Do We Plant Godly Convictions in Our Children? And it's by Joel Beakey. Uh, How Do We Plant Godly Convictions in Our Children? And it's it's a series that's cultivating biblical godliness, Um, but this is a, a really helpful resource when it comes to cultivating biblical uh, convictions within our children. I just want to encourage you to uh, seek that resource. You can look at it after class um, if if you have time. But children must exercise self-control in regard to their what? It's in your notes. Their movements, their mouths, and their minds. Their movements, their mouths, and their minds. Here, we're recognizing our child's need for this type of teaching, and then we realize that children learn incrementally, meaning as they grow, they learn more and more and more. We don't just stop at some point, and we don't just unload the dump truck in one setting and think, okay, they've got it all now. But then we begin to require action based upon what we've been teaching them, okay? We we begin to require obedience after some of that um, uh, teaching has occurred first children must exercise self-control in regard to their movements in other words being still sitting still Um, how many of you have ever done the practice of, of just having your children sit down on the couch and just sitting still for five minutes yeah is that is that easy thing (laughs) <laughs> how many of you have had them set still while you read a book to them? Um, some of you laugh because you, you realize, yeah, that is as a hard thing. And um, but that is something that you can practice uh, very regularly. Um, one of the greatest um, encouragements and, and instructions that that I remember is, is uh, not long ago, uh, Mark talking about uh, Miss Cindy back there and how she would do that with their children. She would have them sit. And, you know, almost modeling what it looks like to be in church on a Sunday morning and sitting before the pastor and just just sit and be still. And Miss Cindy can correct me if I'm wrong in that or if Mark was just lying. But I I doubt that's the (laughs) truth. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that was his hope and his dream of what it would look like. But no, I, I believe him when he says that about Cindy. But but this is the model. This is what we're looking for. We practice all kinds of things, don't we? We have our children go and they play sports. They rehearse what I do to make a basket. They rehearse what it is to kick a ball into a goal. They go and they memorize words and, and sayings and, and, and phrases and long songs and things like that so that they can do well in performances. But what about just the simple practice of setting still? Well, what a novel idea, right? So exercising self-control in movements and sitting still also, their mouths. James three two. What does that say? That's okay. James three two. James three two. Anybody read that to me? We all stumble in many ways. If does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Yeah, well. yeah. It's, it's speaking of even the control of your tongue is really looking at the control of your whole self, right? Yeah. Being quiet and using appropriate language in their responses to others is something that that we all can learn from. So we are to recognize and require self-control even in being quiet and using appropriate language in responses to others. Being self control in how we respond, when we respond, when it's appropriate to speak, when it's not appropriate to speak, Also, using self-control in regards to your mind. Proverbs 18.15, can anyone look that one up for me? Proverbs 18.15, or maybe you could quote it. Proverbs 18.15, it talks about paying careful attention to instructions, tasks, and others. How many times have you looked at your child after you gave them a clear instruction and... And you, you have, they did the thing that you had told them to do, except they missed half of the instruction, right? They didn't do the full task, or they didn't do the full assignment that you gave them. Well, what does Proverbs eighteen fifteen say? The
1: mind of the prudent acquires knowledge. When
0: you hear the wise, seeks knowledge. Yeah, so be, be listening, be attentive. Be ready to receive that instruction. Uh, prudence, prudence. Is is such a helpful um, uh, a term that we can we can teach our children, and it's it's a wise thing for us to heed instruction, to receive knowledge, to listen for it. Have an ear, and, you know. It's it's one thing that uh, that we are constantly telling our kids. Um, uh, Did you hear that I said this thing? Well, no, I didn't hear you, Dad, or I didn't hear you, Mom. You should always be listening for your Dad's voice. You should always be listening for your Mom's voice. There's, there's never an excuse of, oh, I just didn't hear you. It was too loud. Tune your ears to our, our, our sound. That's, that's what you're telling your child. They should have an automatic response when it comes to this voice, when it's being uh, projected in some way. But guarding your minds, paying careful attention to the instructions, the tasks, and the others and others this kind of self-control comes as a as a child progressively learns to carefully observe his setting his setting and limit his activity to what is appropriate for for that particular setting in other words you're you're showing your child what is appropriate for this this setting uh, when we are in a classroom together when we're in the the service together if you go to a theater you know is it okay for you to, for your child to just run around and do whatever they wish while the film or the the show is being displayed well clearly not that's it's it's not appropriate behavior is it okay um, when you're in a, a scenario where you're at a funeral for your child to be loud and boisterous and just do anything they want to do no that's not appropriate for the setting the situation and these are things they learn when they're in uh, when they're at church, when they're at home, when they're in school, or at home in school. These are things we're always teaching them. But a child with little or no self-control may have difficulty learning from parents and others who would teach them. So parents must consistently require their children to exercise self-control and paying attention. Uh, whenever I'm speaking to my kids and I'm trying to correct uh, something that maybe they have done wrong, or I'm giving them instructions. I'm saying, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. Give me your attention, undivided, not looking here, not looking there, not wiggling. Yes, thank you, Ben, for, for giving <laughs> me your eyes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you. so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so parents must consistently require this this self-control, paying attention. And this may be difficult for a young child at first, but he will develop increasing skill as you consistently require it. Again, it goes back to we teach our children all kinds of things on a regular basis. Something that you are really excited about, maybe that's fishing, maybe that's reading books, maybe that's uh, doing some sort of arts and crafts, maybe that's hunting or something. You're going to be careful and, 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 and undivided when it comes to helping your child see how do I handle this thing? How do I hold a crochet hook and, and properly put uh, – well, I need Jackie to explain that. I can't do that. <laughs> but, you know, how do you, how do you do these things and do them well? Well, you're going to pay, give attention. You're going to give time and, and, and administer all kinds of uh, talent that you have to help your child know how to do these things why should it be any less when it comes to these habits that are going to really transform their life and and make a difference in the end?
1: Hey Matt,
0: yes, sir. Uh, before you
1: go to the next page, I yeah. want to add something to this uh, yeah. incrementally. Uh-huh. It's also synchronous. It's also a, because we're doing things in phases of the growth. Right. Automatically, we're, we're we're sinking in these particular things. And need to were for instance, at 2 to 3, 2 to 4 years old, they're learning to submit. They're learning to obey authority. Mm. If you miss that lesson, yeah, people are, are trying to catch up when kids are 12, 15, something, whatever, yeah. and that's where the pain comes from.
0: Amen. Yeah. Um,
1: and so, if you see systematically the way, for instance, uh, Marilyn raised the kids that way, I'm giving uh, Rick credit too because he was the head of the household. I mean, she's real systematic, and so anyway, every one of the kids went through a system of their behaviors and. Yeah. So you have to have a you have to learn one thing synchromatically yeah. uh in that particular phase of life. And so if you don't teach your kids to sit still or to submit to authority, yeah, when they're little, you're always trying to catch up and it's always detrimental to the parent. Yeah. The yeah. So it's not just incremental, it's also that synchromatic. Yeah. It's in those phases of life.
0: Yeah, I've said this so often recently is that that for too long we've been, we've been reactive rather than proactive. Yeah. Instead of instead of us going before and trying to set the bar and and set the, the the stage of like this is the expectation, we've been having to come around and say, all right, here we are. Now let's react. Let's let's try and correct what's been done wrong. And and I mean that's that's something that is is always going to be in a fallen fallen world. But here we have the the tools and the the evidence of of what will be helpful. And so that's good, Mark. Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. We have to do it uh, in sync with other things that we are teaching our children as well. And, and the age of development, how do we consider that in the midst of all this? And so uh, that's where we're going. You know, with, with these broad prere- prerequisites uh, understood, two questions need to be answered more specifically. First, how do parents teach and what do parents teach? How do parents teach and what do parents teach? Well, the first question, how do parents teach? Well, there are at least four ways. There are at least four ways. And we say at least because obviously we could probably spend the next three sessions looking at different ways and methods and of of how to teach. But let's look at these four ways. We teach through example. We teach through example. Um, That's why... Uh, you've heard me say over and over again, more is what? Caught than what? Taught. taught. More is caught than taught. And so, um, yes, the parent is a teacher, but you're teaching through even your example. So, the testimony of your life, Colossians 3.3, 3, Philippians 1.21, uh, this includes how God saved you, has blessed you, how his ongoing activities in your life are causing you to grow in him. And so, you know, you may come to a point and and your child may say, man, why is it always about the gospel? Or why why are we always talking about the Bible? And and, that's a good thing. I hope that your children will say that. You know, praise the Lord if that's the case. But that should be the evidence of the outflow of, of your daily life, your your teaching by the example of your own life. So, how did God save you? Have you ever shared with your your child how God saved you? Have you ever told your uh, your child how God is continually um, in an ongoing state uh, working and causing you to grow to be more like Him? Have you have you shown? Um, even your child, the act of forgiveness, uh, looking, or, or, or repentance, you know, asking for forgiveness to your child you know, for what you have done. You are setting the example before them. So parents must understand that they are models for their children to follow Philippians 4.9. This is, this is a powerful, practical method of teaching skills and character qualities. And this kind of modeling usually involves four steps. What are those four steps? Well, parents act, and the child does what? Watches. The parents act, and the child watches. And then parents act, and the child helps. Then the child acts, and the parent helps. Then the children act, and parents watch or are not present and then follow up. Yeah, I've heard this this said on a number of occasions when it comes to helping your child learn how to take care of even daily chores, daily habits. You know, maybe it's cleaning something. You, the parent, do the act, and your child watches you do it. They are to pay attention while you're doing it. Then the parent acts, and the child helps you while you're doing it. And then the child acts, and you help them as they do that thing. And then the children act, and you either watch from afar, or you just allow them to do it. And then maybe you can come back and follow up and say, hey, yeah, good job. Uh, man, you, you made that toilet shine. You know, so you see where my heart is, what I really like to be clean. No. Um, the, the children act, and the parents watch, or they're not present. And then then you follow up with them. This is really even modeled in Philippians 2.12. Parents can teach in this manner. Whether it is a skill such as how to make a bid, wash a car, or a character issue, man, I can't tell you how many times I saw my dad wash a car and he's saying, Matt, watch, pay attention you know, and then I'd be I'd be doing this cool thing, you know, and dad's like, Matt, get your hands out of your pockets, watch Let's see what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, watch me, watch me. And then then eventually he's saying, okay, you scrub the top of the car. We work from the top down. And, you know, giving me all the the ways in which you do this and you do it properly. So um, uh, maybe it's taking a meal and visiting with a sick neighbor. Being compassionate. Do your children see you doing these forms of things and you are modeling it for them? You are being the example. Well, in life situations, what about life situations? Um, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. What is is life like with your child in the ordinary everyday life, in the milieu of life, in your family setting and home environment? Um, unique to your family. In times of crisis, such as trials, times of sorrow, failures, illness, school problems, how do you respond? How do you act? How do you handle those life situations when considering options and decisions? Is is your decision-making based upon the roll of the dice? Do they see you just flipping cards and hoping that maybe you'll get the right thing and, and that the end will be okay? Or do they see you actively looking to make decisions based upon the will of God, praying earnestly for something, difficulty with friends, parents' work situations, unemployment, current events? My goodness, the day in which we live and all the things that are going on. How do, you, how do your children see you respond to these situations? Do you talk about them outwardly, I mean, uh, with one another in the open, and your children hear you in great fear and in great anxiety? Do your children hear you um, uh, complaining about others, gossiping about others? What What do they hear from your mouth? Well, life's situations are your own opportunity to demonstrate the power and the relevance of God's word. You draw out your child's thoughts and plans, and you use the opportunities to counsel them. Proverbs 20, verse 5 tells us that. Well, you also are teaching them, you're you're demonstrating this by questions and answers. Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, or Exodus chapter 12, verse 26. God instructed his people to use symbols like Passover to create a Questions in the minds of the children. Learn to ask thought-provoking questions of your children and carefully evaluate their responses. In addition, parents should be ready for thought-provoking questions from their children. You know, we all we all joke about this, but man, the questions that you get in a day. Um, uh, somebody shared something this past week where they were talking about, you know, oh how fun it is to, to work from home in the quarantine days. And you've got your, your five, six, seven-year-old that's coming and asking you, Dad, why is the sky blue? Why, is, why does the grass grow? You know, and it's all these philosophical questions of life. And, 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 and you're thinking, I just need to get my work done. <laughs> Come on. and, and so, uh, But kids are asking questions. They're going to want to know how to respond. And sometimes those questions are appropriate in you know, the time. And then sometimes you say, hey, can we, can we talk about that? Uh, this afternoon, this evening, at, at dinner time. So instead of just saying, hey, I don't want to talk about that right now, or I don't have time to talk about that, let's, let's table that. Let's say, hey, bring that back up later at, at the dinner table. Let's talk through those things. I'd love to answer those questions. But learn how to answer them and to draw them back and see even how they would answer that from their theology, from their, their beliefs, what they have at this moment. And then you'll either see that they're thinking rightly or you can help them to think rightly. Well, this is, this is what God has called us to do, questions and answers. Use the child's own natural curiosity for object lessons. Now, Jesus often did this uh, with the disciples. Another person, you may say, Matt, I don't want to read a commentary. But friends, um, this is not a normal commentary, but there's a, there's a man named Donald Gray... Barnhouse, you got that in your head, Donald Gray Barnhouse, and Barnhouse was a master illustrator, and um, he has a series on Romans um, that is is very helpful just for illustration's sake. But he he would be just riding with his children, and there could be a bird on the power line, and he would use that as an opportunity to teach some sort of lesson to their kids about the providence of the Lord or about the power of God. And um, and so, if you have opportunities to read uh, something other than what you normally read, uh, look up Donald Gray Barnhouse and read some of his illustrations and helpful, um, uh, helpful, thought-provoking um, uh, word pictures. But encourage questions. Look for opportunities to be available to listen for their thoughts about the day. Uh, for example, bedtime can be a wonderful opportunity for a parent to help a child finish a day by reflecting on God. Now. You also have to be realistic in those times as well. Um, it could be you're about to turn the light off, and they say, uh, "Dad, why did God have to send evil into the world?" Oh, great! Here we go. <laughs> this is going to take a half hour. Well, okay. Let's table that again. Again, let's let's take that opportunity and say that's a wonderful question. You know, Addison, I I, I want to answer that, and I think that's a wonderful thing for us to consider. So let's. Talk about that tomorrow. Let's talk about that Wednesday. Let's do those things in an appropriate time. Let's talk about it at the breakfast table. Why doesn't grandma love Jesus? Why did Adam have have to sin? What is evolution? These are all good questions, but we need to be considering even how to answer them, how to be ready for them. But be available. Listen carefully. Uh, It's helpful to teach by answering a person's um, own question by... Um sorry. It it is helpful to teach by answering a person's own question rather than only giving them answers to questions that are not being asked. And friends, one thing that I will point out here, it is okay as a parent to say I don't know. That's a that's a good lesson for even us in humility to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. But let's 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 be careful and say where can we find the answer? Maybe we find the answer in the Bible. And maybe it's just, um, uh, maybe it is, uh, well, let's ask uh, Pastor Matt. Let's ask Pastor Farrell. Let's ask, you know, uh, Mr. Ben, you know, your Sunday school teacher. Let's do these things and, 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 and find out the answer. So you're not ignoring it. You're not pushing it off and saying, well, I don't know. And so um, you're just going to be as dumb as I am for the rest of your life. Uh, no, let's go find the answer. Also, you're going to take formal teaching times. Teach your kids not to drive motorcycles really fast um, because that's not very smart. But formal teaching times, formal teaching times, family devotions, family worship, reading a book together. Um, if you're if you're interested in, in, in family devotions family worship time I've got a number of resources I think I've already told you this but I would be helpful to share or I'd be thankful uh, to share those helpful resources with you but select a good time and a method and, and subject and and seek variety't don't, don't say that well every night at 9 a.m or every night at 6:30 p.m right before bedtime uh, we're going to open up uh, the Bible, or we're going to open up this book and we're going to read this passage. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's fine for you to do, but maybe even uh, just uh, throw it around a little while and, 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 and get a different book and bring it in and read the truths to your children. And Proverbs is a wonderful book, verse by verse or chapter by chapter. Um, it, it, it shows Solomon's instructions to his sons. Uh, in all your teachings, seek to be genuine, concise, and straightforward. Use illustrations and contrasts whenever people uh, or whenever possible. Uh, let your child uh, know in the way you teach that you not only enjoy instructing him or them, but also expect them to apply what you learn. Man, I can't tell you how many times we've done that, like just even in the moment, like saying, You did just hear what we read, right? (laughs) When it comes to, like, how we respond in a form of worship to the Lord. Like, even in the reading of his word, how we are to have self-control in this moment or or the next day. Hey, do you remember that thing we read last night at Bible study? Or the thing we read last night in our our family worship time? Have fun. Use humor whenever and wherever appropriate. Well, second, what do parents teach? So not, not only how do parents teach, but what do parents teach? Only God can change the heart. We can't say that enough, friends. Only God can change the heart. I can be uh, the most charismatic person in the world, and yet I am still not going to change my child's or another person's heart to draw them to Christ. But parents are responsible for faithfully and accurately living and teaching the word. I'm going to repeat that. Parents are responsible for faithfully and accurately living and teaching the word. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2, 2 Timothy two fifteen. The parents' priorities in lesson one, we talked about this, uh, form a broad framework with which to begin. And they were a commitment to Christ, right? A commitment to your marriage. If you're married, a commitment to your family, and then a commitment to others, and remember, uh, we have said this: you're no better a what? You're no better a um, a spouse, or I'm gonna get this wrong here. You're no better. Yeah, you're no better a parent than you are a spouse than you are a child of God. You are no better a parent then you are a spouse, then you are a child of God. So it all goes back to your commitment to Christ. What does your own spiritual life look like? What does your daily walk with the Lord look like? Prayerfully, our children will develop commitments in these same areas. We therefore teach the Bible as it relates uh, to these commitments with a hope towards our children trusting Christ observing the scripture, living them wisely, and to live wisely, children must learn to apply biblical truth to every issue of life. That's what wisdom is. It's knowledge practiced. And the following categories we're going to look at, they represent only a few specific and essential topics which parents should teach their children. So again, this is not all-inclusive. It's not, it's not exhaustive. But here are a few areas that we should cover. That first being the fear of God. The fear of God. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is what? Understanding. Proverbs 9 verse 10 tells us that. This, this reverential awe... An admiring, submissive fear is the foundational for is, is foundational for all spiritual knowledge and wisdom. While the unbeliever may make statements like um, about life and truth, he does not have true or ultimate knowledge until he is in a redemptive relationship of reverential awe with God. Let's consider the progression here: one, you're teaching about God; two, you're learning about God; three. You're fearing God, four. You're knowing God, and five. You're imitating God's wisdom. So we must we must uh, be taught about Him. You know how will they know unless they are taught? That's the Romans is telling. How, how do they know unless they are thus they hear? So you have to put yourself in a situation, or by God's providence, you're put into a position to where you hear His word. And then you learn about God. Oh, wow, I didn't know that about him. Or I thought this about him, but that's different. And then fearing God, it begins to happen as you begin to understand and know who he is. And then you know God. And then after all these things, you begin to imitate God. And so the fear of the Lord is, is a state of mind in which one's own attitude, his will, his feelings, his deeds... And goals are exchanged for God's friends. Um, In regard to our children, this means helping them develop a God consciousness. So that they understand what it means to, to live life in his presence. It's not just a matter of, oh, this is something we talk about on Sundays. Or this is something we talk about on Wednesdays or whenever we get together with church people. This is something that we live in, the, the milieu of life, the everyday uh, consciousness of, of what is going on and what is being, uh, what is being developed in, in their minds. Developing a fear of God in our children involves at least three things. Again, I say at least three things. The first one is knowing God Jeremiah 9, John 17, Philippians 3. How do you know God? Well, we need to teach our children God's attributes and mighty deeds. His, his attributes can be taught to, uh, to really young children, even though we may need to use simple terminology. This is something that we do in the children's ministry here at church, in the, in the Sunday school classes and in the children's church hour. These are things that are being taught to them, the attributes of God. Using a song like, My God is so big, So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you and me. God's attributes of of omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, and personal care can all be taught. At the beach, you remind your child that just as the waves continue to go in and go out, God is faithful to do all he says he will do for us. You take every opportunity and you point them to the Lord. Psalm 139 is, is, a, is a great text to reinforce these truths. If you, if you have opportunity to, to read through that with your child, to quote that to your child. Second, not only knowing God, but also worshiping God. Not only knowing God, but worshiping God. All of life is an opportunity for worship to respond to truth about God. That's what worship is. Worship is our response of knowing about God how we live demonstrates who or what we worship how we live demonstrates who or what we worship Hebrews 13 15 and 16 tell us that I mean we see that within our own children right we see that you know if they go about the day and they're always saying "Ah, oh, Susie took my toy or or Bobby hit me because I took his toy what is that telling us about the worship of our child? The worship is self. They're idolizing their desire, their, themselves. What they want is preeminent. It's not about God. It's not about ultimately worshiping him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 There can be no sacred versus secular thinking here. All of us are either worshiping God or our own pleasures desires and ways and ways as idols we are idol factories we we worship the lord or we worship ourselves what is your child's attitude towards food towards computer games towards the tv time music other pleasures maybe you realize oh man this is becoming a, an idol for my child you know the fact that they want to eat pizza every day and they will not eat anything else. Oh <laughs> well, no, Matt, they just they don't, don't have an appetite for anything else. No, that's become an idol for them, because that is what's going to please them, and that's what's going to make them happy. You know we could you know our child would, would eat ice cream all day long if we allowed them. but we know in our minds that is not good for them. That's not helpful to them. But that becomes an idol to them. That becomes what they believe they need and what they desire, and so they will do anything to get that. But we're to do all things to the glory of God, all things to to please him. Well, No, just just one more show, just just one more one more round of this game. Just just let me do one more thing. Or is it immediate obedience? Does he or she easily or reluctantly put them aside when someone needs his help? Is there a habit or a pursuit of your child that will, will not readily set aside for the needs of others? Even good hobbies can bring out fleshly lust and covetousness, uh, which amounts to idolatry. You know, consider their, their natural tendency to, to live for themselves as a bridge into the gospel. Christ paid for the penalty for that selfishness and thus offers them forgiveness. Whatever it is that is an idol in their heart, God died, or Christ died, for that very thing. In order for them to be for- forgiven. But just as it is important to be aware of your own sinfulness. Of your own sinful tendencies. You also need to watch out for your child's particular weaknesses. And each child is unique. You can probably think right off the top of your head now. Certain things that your child. Each child struggles with or deals with. Anger. Jealousy. Selfishness. Um uh, 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 considering themselves more often than than anyone else, but we're to teach our child, our children, what it means to worship God privately. Matthew six verses one through eighteen. Can he read and find things in the Bible himself? What will you teach about prayer and meditation? What verses and passages? Will he memorize so that he won't sin against God? Psalm one nineteen eleven. We're to teach our child, our children, the essentials of corporate worship. This can be accomplished uh, through times of family worship, and should be modeled through active involvement in a biblical local church. Hebrews ten twenty four verses twenty five. I encourage anyone that that can at least as opportunity ar- uh, arises. To bring your child into the the fellowship of the saints and have them with you there. To not only just say, okay, well you need to sit quietly and listen to the teaching. But one, you also allow them the opportunity to see how does dad or how does mom listen to the sermon. How do they actively engage in the sermon that is being taught. Oh, that's how mom takes notes. That's why These things are written down and why she's able to recall what is said. Oh, man, I see mom and dad worshiping, in other words, singing in that moment, the truths of Scripture to other people. Explain that to your child when you can. Help them see why we sing together as a corporate body, the truths of Scripture. Help them see why it is that we bow our heads and we close our eyes and we allow uh, our pastor to lead us in corporate prayer. Help them see those things and then partake in it as well. You're modeling it for them. You want to develop you want your child to develop a love for God and he can't love one whom he does not know. And he can't know God without being taught the word. Consider reading the ultimate priority and God coming face-to-face with with His Majesty. This is uh, a book by John MacArthur. Or When God is Big and Man is Small by Ed Welch. Or Thoughts on Family Worship by J.W. Alexander. Are those in your notes? Are those uh, references in your notes? I'm sorry. I'll share them with you uh, this week when when we email. And third... um, Pleasing God. Pleasing God. So we considered uh, knowing God, worshiping God. Now let's look at pleasing God. This includes helping children learn to make decisions biblically. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Does your child then lean on his own understanding? Or in all his ways, including decisions, will he acknowledge the Lord, believing that God will make his path straight? We'll teach about how to choose friends or hobbies or why drugs are wrong, whether to go to this activity or, or another. Consider the future, how, how when, when to buy a car or where to get a job, where to choose to go to college if you choose to go to college, how to choose a profession, what to look for in a spouse. When, when making decisions, the tendency is merely to ask, well, what's wrong with it? Friends, that's, that's not the appropriate approach or response. When our children are faced with a choice, we, we also need to help them think through what is good about it. Not, well, what, what's wrong with that? Or why, why is that so bad? Well, Let's look at, more importantly, what is good about that thing? As pictured in Psalm 128, our children are plants that will one day be replanted somewhere else. Help them make decisions now and and let them make decisions now and deal with the consequences so that they can learn for themselves how to make God-honoring choices. Don't be the superman or superwoman that comes in and swoops in and picks them up and says, whoa, that was a close one. You almost made a really bad decision there, even though they have no idea what you're talking about because they didn't get to experience it. Sometimes we have to allow our children to face the consequences of poor decisions. Uh, it's, there's a reference there in your notes that says, See Appendix 9, Help with the Gray Areas of Life. I recommend—I uh, don't recommend you read it. I say read it. Okay? <laughs> read it. Read that appendix. Uh, appendix 9, Help with the Gray Areas of Life teaching children a proper fear of God involves helping them understand what it means to know God, how to worship God, and how to please God. And in addition to the fear of God, parents must teach their children submission and obedience to authority. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 2, or 1 and 2. God's authority is limitless, and we are to obey him in all things. Also, he has given limited authority to the following human institutions, but our children need to understand God's requirement for them to honor, obey these uh, finite, fallible institutions. In recognizing and obeying these God-ordained authorities, they are obeying God. Help them see that. It's not just a matter of you're obeying this man. It is in obeying this man, you obey God. That even includes us, parents, parents, Ephesians 6, teachers, Hebrews 13, the government, 1 Peter 2, church, Hebrews 13, employers, 1 Peter 2. But submission is the recognition that one is under the authority of another. Then obedience is the obligation to respond to that authority with appropriate action and attitude. We have to consider those, those truths there. Submission is the recognition that one is under the authority of another. And obedience is the obligation to respond to that authority with the appropriation or appropriate action and attitude. And so God requires that obedience be complete with a, the with a right heart. The home is the obvious training ground for a child to learn submission and obedience to authority, especially in light of the fifth commandment in Ephesians 6, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Why? Because we say so? Because why? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3.20. This is pleasing to the Lord. It is obedience to the Lord. Obedience must be taught by precept and example. Is your life a good example of submission and obedience? Do do your children see the cheerful ways in which you acknowledge roles of authority, such as church leadership and government? Can you believe that pastor decided to to do this thing? Can you believe that they decided to uh, to to not have church on Sunday night? My, how sinful and wicked! These are responses that are, that are common. Can you believe that they chose to do that with the money instead of this? Can you believe that our government are doing the things that they're doing right now? How foolish. How do you properly uh, address those situations? How do you properly address those whom you are to be in submission to and obedient to? Do your children see you cheerfully acknowledge those roles of authority? Do you obey the traffic laws, wives? Do your children see you willingly submit your to your husband, husbands? How do you speak about your employment, husbands? How do your uh, how do you speak about your wives? Without respect of authority, all other kinds of teaching, that's skills, characters, or math tables doesn't matter. All other kinds of teaching by you or any other authority figures could be severely hindered. Well, I don't have to listen to them. Who are they? Who put them in authority? Who made you the person that I have to listen to? Parents, you must not fail in helping your children fulfill God's direct command for them to be obedient to you. That is that is where it begins. If they cannot obey you, why should they obey anyone else? Since obedience is ultimately a matter of the heart rather than simply external behavior, the wise parent looks for opportunities to demonstrate the need for true inner change. And when a child fails to submit and obey, parents can teach them about human depravity and their need for a savior. My son, if you receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, This is in your notes, Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 7. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Parents, this is, this is your child's attitude. Or is this your child's attitude toward your instruction? If not, what can you do to challenge them in this regard? If this is not your child's attitude to instruction or submission. What can you do to ta- to challenge them in this regard? In this in this lesson concerning the role of the parent as a teacher, we saw several prerequisites. I mean, I said it right that time. Parents must remember in order to effectively fulfill Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Children lack understanding and must be taught. Children learn incrementally and even as Dr. Hager said, in sync with the development of the child. and They lack self-control. And then we examine how do parents teach? By their example in life situations. By question and answer. And through formal instruction. We also began to look at what parents teach. And consider two crucial topics. The fear of God. And submission and obedience to authority. Next week... I think is next week, we have, there's, I think it's next week, yes. Next week, uh, our next lesson will continue with our, our look at the, the role of the parent as a teacher. The role of a parent as teacher. And um, I'll be sure to send you the Pondering the Principles from this week. Um, you should have already, you should have the Pondering the Principles from Lesson 5. Uh, The two-part series, Uh, but we'll go. I'll go ahead and send this one to you as well as as well as some of those other recommendations. But friends, these are uh, uh, things that we must consider, things that we must begin to implement. As it says, Um, is this your child's attitude towards your instruction, or is it defiance? Is it rebellion? How do we? How do they respond? And how how can you challenge that even now? Let's pray. Father, what a blessing and privilege. It is to be able to sit under your word, to, to hear the instruction directly from you um, that you have developed for us and clearly articulated uh, so that we can take and implement these truths in, into our own lives. Father, uh, we are no better a parent than we are a spouse, than we are a child of God, because, um, Father, all of those other things, our, our love and our care towards others, to our family, to our spouses, they are all contingent upon who we are in Christ. So Father, I pray for these parents, for these individuals, Lord, that you would renew their mind through this truth, that you would sanctify them, set them apart uh, for your good work in the process of, of being parents that you have called them to be. We pray this in Christ's name.